really nervous. I have loads of notes, so forgive me this morning. <laughs> maybe um, the passage that I've got to share is, uh, yeah, maybe God wants to do something. So I just want to come and just, um, we're looking at this whole series of reforming the church. And I don't know about you, but I am really excited about this because I feel that as we go into this new year, you know, for so many people, church can just be the thing we do. And even if we love God and we're Christians and we try our best to live our lives the way that we we want to and to serve God, we so get caught in routine and doing the same things over and over again. And you know, change, I think, is good. COVID has, um, maybe that's been a good thing for us. <laughs> when we've had to do things differently, what was it someone said that it would have taken us years to get church online, but we all learned how to do it in a matter of weeks. <laughs> you know, something that would have taken a really long time. And uh, I totally agree with that. But when we look at reforming the church, um, we can also look at our commitment to the church and what that looks like. And I feel a really way, a good way to do that is looking at our experience of church. Now, I recognize that many of us here today have been Christians for a long time. And Southern Baptist Church may be your only experience of church. But for others of you, you may have been in different churches throughout the years and you carry lots of experience of being in church and how different churches do things and, and what it's been like being part of a church community. So this morning, I want to share a little bit about my experience of church in the early days. And then we're going to unpack scripture and we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 and talk about the early church and their experience of church and just see what we can learn from that. But I pose the question while I'm speaking and while we're just journeying this morning is what is your experience of church? Is it a good one? Is it a bad one? Does it bring really good memories? Does it bring a lot of hurt and a lot of pain? And just keep that question and just park it there as we unpack things together. I grew up in a little town called Dunoon. Does anyone know where that is? <laughs> it's a little town. You feel like you're on an island, but you're not really. You're on the peninsula, as everybody from Dunoon will remind you. But we do get a ferry to go everywhere because it's much quicker. So, um, so yeah, to, go, to grow up in a small town and have this whole small town um, community, um, life was quite quiet. And church life was just kind of mundane. And I remember as a teenager, coming through the kids' work, and then as a teenager becoming a teenager and thinking, actually, I don't know if I want to go to church anymore. It's really boring, you know? <laughs> And boring is definitely a word that um, I, I would have used and I would have told my dad. My dad was the pastor at the time. So sometimes as teenagers, we can be very vocal with our parents about how we feel about things. But I remember just thinking, yeah, I just need to find excuses for not to go. And then something happened. And it wasn't like some big radical thing happened. It was like a slow trickle effect of what was happening in our church. And so we'd meet together in the sanctuary, and then something happened and the, the roof wasn't right, so it wasn't safe to meet there anymore. So we moved everybody into the hall. And it was quite nice, actually, when you're not sitting in pews and you're kind of in a more informal setting. It felt a bit like that. It felt a bit more like community. And, and that was great. And then something else happened. I grew up with Americans. We had a, an American naval base on the Holy Loch, there must have been one, I mean, I never get my figures right, one to 2,000 sailors plus their families. It was massive in Dunoon. It was a big part of our community. And the, the, um, the, the British government and the American government had an agreement about how long this ship was going to be there for. 
and the time was up. I remember 1992, shows a bit of my age, <laughs> and uh, that was the, the year that that ship was going to leave, and that was going to have a massive impact on our community. It was going to have a massive impact on our church. You know, the Americans were in our school. They were everywhere. They had their own shop. If you were really good friends with an American, you got to go roller skating on a Friday night and get into their roller skating. It was quite exciting. The best part was the food. They got food that we couldn't buy in our shops and they would invite you around for dinner and you'd be trying food and thinking, this is amazing. <laughs> Most of it not healthy, but anyway, <laughs> it was really, really good. So this was all having an impact. And then when I think of church, the Americans were in our church. In fact, half our church was full of Americans. They ran our kids' work, they ran our youth work, they ran all these different things that were happening. And this announcement of this ship leaving was going to have a massive impact on our community. So here we were, we moved into the hall, we were worshipping God, we started to lose all these people, our church got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then someone from our church says, do you know what, we need to get on our knees and we need to pray that God will replace every American family with a Scottish family from Dunoon. And that's what the church did. They got on their knees and they prayed that God would replace every family. And just over time, over a year, that started to happen. New families started coming in. New families started coming to faith. And our church started to grow and grow and grow and grow. And it became really exciting. I was part of a youth group of six people for like a long time. And in the space of a year, our youth group grew from six to 30. I mean, it was like, okay, church was no longer boring. The talent was much better when you were a teenager. There was a much more incentive to go to church. <laughs> and it started to get really exciting. But you know, it was much more than that. When you started hearing the stories of people that were coming to faith, it was really, really exciting. It was, it was amazing. And then we decided that our church roof really wasn't fit for purpose. So we were gonna buy a new building and we moved the whole church into the old American YMCA and transformed it. And just that whole part of being part of a church community and that transition while lots of people were coming to faith, lots of new families coming along, it was really exciting. It was really amazing. And I started to get really encouraged with being a Christian and thinking, if this is what being a Christian is about, if this is what church community is about, I am all in. It was like, I want to go to the early morning prayer meeting. What can I do that will make life really hard for me so God really knows that I want to worship him? And that was joining the early morning prayer meeting. I probably had to set six alarms as a teenager to think I'm going to get, make this prayer meeting. And I was the only young person there. But you know, these prayer warriors taught me a lot of things about prayer. And when you're in these prayer meetings and you start to see all these prayers come to fruition and come, you know that God is real. You can see the outworking of his Holy Spirit and it's really, really exciting. That was my experience of church as a 14-year-old. And it's changed my life. Now, I could sit and tell you there was hard times in that period of time. And I'm not going to tell you all the details because that's my journey of pain. That's my journey of forgiveness. Um, but I want to tell you there was seasons when that wasn't easy. There was ups and there was downs. There was times you were sitting in church thinking, do I really have to stand next to that person and worship God? Because they really are, either they've hurt me or they're annoying or whatever it is you want to say when we all come together as a community. But in Dunoon, if you were going to leave the church, there wasn't really anywhere else to go. So you really had to get your issues sorted out <laughs> or church really wouldn't have been a fun place. <laughs> Sometimes we need to take a break or change house groups for a while or whatever, you know, just as we work things out and that's okay. But that's the joys of living in a small community. 
But no church is perfect. But one of the things I do remember is my experience of us all coming together. And sometimes it did feel like an Acts chapter 2 church. And sometimes it didn't. And one of the things that I had pressing on my memory of that whole experience of church was our kids' work. Now, I wasn't involved in kids' work or ever, but one of the things that we saw was the Holy Spirit was moving and things were happening. And one parent came to us and said, here's a wee note of what my son said yesterday when they came down. And it was like adult words. It wasn't even the words of a child. And it was something to the effect that the minister was going to preach. He was going to tell everybody about Jesus and lots of people were going to come to faith. So she handed that to leadership of the church, a five-year-old. And we knew that was a prophetic word, that God wasn't finished with us and had more to happen. Four years later, that little boy's prophecy that he gave to us came into fruition. All the people that had come to faith, who their, their husbands and their wives hadn't come to faith, and we prayed for years and years and years that they would come, came to faith in one service. Isn't God good? <laughs> And I think, wow, this is what church is like. It's good. But I want to ask you, what's your experience of church? You know, I'm sure most of us have been through good times and hard times. But this morning, I want us to look in 1 Thessalonians. You know, here is the church right at the beginning. Here is Paul planting a church. 1 Thessalonians, if you want to open your Bible. To the church of the Thessalonians and God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says at the top, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, grace and peace to you. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to set the scene a little bit here so we can understand what's going on. Paul himself founded this church in Thessalonica. Thessalonia, <laughs> get the words right, <laughs> on his second missionary journey. And we can read all about it. If you want to read about it when you go home, read Acts chapter 17. We get all the details, okay? He was only in the city a short, piece, a short time because he was forced out by the enemies of the gospel. Here he is preaching that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is alive. <laughs> Jesus is the resurrected Lord and people are not liking it. He's upsetting everybody and particularly one group. But this church just thrived and became alive. And though Paul had to leave this church, his deep concern for them stayed. I think we reckon he was probably there um, maybe three weeks. It could be three months. Different commentaries tell you different things. But it was a really short period of time he planted this church. And then before it, people were after his life. And it was like, oh, no, I've got to get out of here. <laughs> you know, can you imagine just putting all your energy into this and then having to leave and not being able to follow it through or see what's going to happen. And that's what was happening. A little bit of history on Paul's second missionary journey. He was imprisoned in Philippi. And then do you remember the story? He was miraculously healed, eh, freed from jail, only to be kicked out of that city. And then he came to Thessalonia, the prosperous capital of the province of Macedonia. And that just sets the scene a little bit. So he has to flee and he has to get out of there. Um, and he's driven out. His next step, he goes off to Athens where he preached a good sermon and had mixed results. People didn't like what he was saying. And by the time he came to Corinth, you know, he was probably feeling quite discouraged, quite weak in fear and trembling. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And at this point of his second missionary journey, it seemed that Paul was really, really, really discouraged. But while in Corinth, it's likely that Paul 
his heart would have been broken for the church. <laughs> you know, when you're involved in setting something up and putting lots of energy in and working with people, your heart's in it. But somebody came, Paul, it was um, Silas and Timothy came from Thessalonia and they said, Paul, we've got great news. See that church that you planted? Even though you were only there a short space of time, do you know it's doing really well? God is doing something amazing. <laughs> He's pouring out his spirit. All these things are happening. Everybody's hearing about it. And can you imagine what an encouragement that would have been for Paul to be thinking, oh, well, it wasn't really my doing. It would have definitely had to be a God thing. <laughs> because these guys, I don't even know if their leaders would have been trained up by then. I don't know if they would have had their diaconate together. <laughs> I don't know if the positions would all have been filled. <laughs> but there they were, just filled with the Holy Spirit, getting on and doing what God had called them to do. And he was really, really encouraged. So this is him in that encouragement, getting his pen and paper together and writing this letter um, so that he can just let them know, this is great what I'm hearing. I'm so excited for you, but I just want to encourage you. And I'm encouraged when I hear about all that's happening. When we look at verse two, it says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We give thanks to God, all of you. When Paul thought of the Christians, his heart was filled with gratitude. You know, I sometimes think when we hear of things that are happening in our church, is that our heart? <laughs> are we full of gratitude? Somebody new came to church this week. Yay! <laughs> Somebody had an answer to prayer in my family or God really came through for this situation. You know, sometimes I think in our culture, we just, it's like, give me, give me, give me, and then we forget actually, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of others. We need to have this heart of gratitude. Paul knew when he read this, when he read the, heard the report, that this was well above his abilities and that it was absolutely the work of God. You know, the regular reoccurring nature of thanksgiving is implied in the of the present tense of the verb. It's the practice of giving thanks to God continually every day. Isn't that a discipline that we have to learn and that we have to take on board and think, I wanna do that. I want to be thankful. I wanna have a heart like that. And when we hear about what God's doing, and not just our church, in other churches or other places we hear, you know, when these Firestarters team came last week and we're hearing what God's been doing in their lives, it's so exciting. We just wanna give thanks and we pray for them. Definitely pray for them. Pray for each other. We don't need to pray for when things just go bad, but we need to be rejoicing and worshiping when things are going great and things are going well. Verse 3, it says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at this and we unpack it a little bit, it is quite a lot to take in this, just this chunk of scripture. The way Paul pairs each of these three virtues, faith, love, hope, with a practical necessity for Christian living. I love it. Do you love it? Let's look at faith and work. Let's try and understand what he's kind of getting at when we look at that. The connection between um, these two things, work and faith. The first connection Paul makes, what does it mean, work of faith. It means a work that proceeds from a result of faith. Paul commends their faith. 
the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia. In verse 8, everybody's hearing about what you're doing. <laughs> this word is traveling really, really far. <laughs> Paul tells us how that faith has made changes in what they did in their lives. You know, before their lives were different. They were worshiping idols or gods or just the, the Greek gods. You know, for those that were Jews that were becoming Christians, they were so caught up in the routine of ritual and, and just different things. But then to hear about Jesus Christ and how he comes and transforms our life. Wow. And then trusting him with our lives. That is faith. That requires us to change everything, to change the way we work, the way we do things in our life. Do you see how their faith was changed and how they were doing their life when we read this passage? Their work had been their worship of idols. But now... Their faith changed everything. Their work was about their faith in God and asking God, here I am, what are we doing? What do you want to do? <laughs> everything changed. When you put your faith, where you put your faith determines what you do. Can I say that again? Where we put our faith determines what we do. Remember the words of James in James chapter 2. It says, I will show you my faith by my works. Faith is not merely belief. It's something that changes us. It's something that transforms us. So you can look at what you're doing and tell where your faith really is. We can look at our lives. We can examine the way we do things. Is God's work the focus of our lives? And if that is, then your faith is in God. Is the work of the world the focus of your life? And if that is the case, then your faith is in idols. That's the important connection that Paul puts between faith and work. The next part of that little verse, there's so much in this verse 3, we could be here for a while, <laughs> is love and labor. The second connection Paul makes is... The labor. And what we mean by that is the effort we put into the task. The word labor means to work, to toil, to work to a point of exhaustion. It's the attitude we have towards work that determines the intensity of how we do that work. It should be our love that produces that intensity. You know when you love something so much, you'll just do anything for them, <laughs> or you love someone, or you love a particular thing, you'll do it lots and lots and lots until... Um, yeah, because you just love it. If you're going to work hard at something, if that love and that passion is there, it'll happen. If we want to get involved in something when we've got a love and a passion for it, we will be there. A person or a church that does not love will not labor. They may know what to do, we can be involved in different ministries and we can know the routine, we can know how it works. We may have a faith that properly defines the work that we should be doing, but if we don't have that true love and that affection, that biblical love, then simply, it's not going to work out. The Thessalonian church had that love and it showed in the intensity of their work for God. That passion came across, and Paul was hearing all about it. And he's writing this letter to encourage them. 
And the second part of that verse 3 is about hope and endurance. Or in some translations, I think the ESV, it says steadfastness. The third connection that Paul makes. And if you think of that word steadfastness, okay, you know, it's used to describe the characteristic of a man who's not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith, but by even the greatest trials, nothing is going to put them off, no matter how hard life gets, no matter how painful. I mean, when, you're, when you read this passage, these guys are being persecuted for their faith. Their very life is in danger. This is the beginning. This is the first church. <laughs> but they are so in love with Jesus. They are so passionate. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're up for anything. And nothing is going to sway that. And that's what's coming across. That's what people are hearing about, what's happening. The result in our lives in this verse is described as endurance to the end, even in the most difficult times. So often, many of us give up when life gets hard. And even when we think of our Christian faith here at the moment in the UK, it isn't really that hard in comparison to other cultures and other countries and what people are doing. You hear of the underground church in China. You hear of different things that are happening. If you proclaim that you were a Christian, things would happen, horrible things would happen. Today, we have a freedom of speech most of the time. But just that endurance to the end in the most difficult times. But one of the things we need more than anything in today's society is hope. At least as the Bible uses hope. I don't know if many of you have said this week, I hope it will stop raining. <laughs> I don't really think that's what the Bible talks about when we use the word hope. Maybe I wish it would stop raining is the better word or the better term that we could use. But when we look at that word hope in biblical terms, it's something entirely different. It means a joyful and confident expectation, okay? Is that not what we have as Christians? <laughs> Is that what we have? Are we excited about it? <laughs> we need to keep our eye on the bigger picture. <laughs> you know, if we're just thinking of now and the cost of living crisis and everything and thinking of all the, the things that are wrong with our church, we're never going to get anywhere. We have to rise above that and think, okay, God, here we are. You know, you give us this hope, this hope that comes from you. Sometimes we think that heaven's just a way out there, you know. Alistair mentioned it last week. Did you know that Jesus is coming back? Do we live like we believe that? Does anybody know that Jesus is coming back? <laughs> I think Alistair's words were, I think we're ticking a lot of boxes according to scripture. <laughs> that it's getting nearer and it's getting nearer and it's nearer. Do you know, if I put, I know this sounds crazy, if I put a date on it and I said that Jesus was coming back on the 5th of March, would you change the way you lived your life? Or would you think, actually, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. We don't have a date, by the way, just in case. Just want to clarify that. <laughs> we don't know when he's coming back. He could come back any time, but it's just that whole urgency of who are we? Why are we here? Oh my goodness, we're Christians. Our lives are transformed by Jesus Christ. We have... He has a plan and he has a purpose. And here we have this church that are just up for anything, full of the Holy Spirit in the midst of persecution. And word is going all over about what God is doing. If you're feeling discouraged this morning, I just want to encourage you, don't give up. There is hope. 
no matter what we're going through. If life is difficult, maybe that's your thing for this year. You're going to work on hope. Sometimes when we think things hard, I really encourage you to get your Bible out and just go and find loads of scriptures all about hope. Stick them up around your house. <laughs> See, this is my year. <laughs> I need to work on this one. I need to work on what it means to live my life with hope. Steadfastness and endurance. If you don't have the right kind of hope in your life, if your hope is in other things, you're not going to endure. You're going to give up quite easily. Do you know that faith gets us headed in the right direction? Love gets us moving. I love this. But it's only hope that gets us moving when life's tough. So what the Apostle Paul wrote to that relatively new church and much, much tested church at Thessalonia was a commendation. I give thanks to God for your work, defined by your faith, your hard labor motivated by your love, and your steadfast endurance inspired by hope. Would that commendation be true of us? And if not, that's our challenge this year. How is our faith in God? Does it define what we do each week? Or is our week defined by the worldly idols? How's our love doing? Are we loving others? Does it get us moving and serving the Lord and others? Or is it so weak that we're just stuck in neutral? How about our hope? Is it a confident expectation that drives us faithfully through the hard times? Or are you just all over the place? My challenge to us this morning is to take great encouragement from this new church. Therefore, says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And in verse 5, I just want to highlight as I close, because your gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. We can read the word of God and it can have no impact. And we can just see it as a book. Or we can read the word of God and say, oh no, this is the word of God. It's full of the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms. Is that how we read our Bible? God, show us what you want to reveal to us today. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. That's how I want to live my life. When we look at our covenant, we're going to put it up in the, the, um, the screen. Do you know, all these things are things that we, I would love us, it's what I would like church to look like. When I ask you the question, what's your experience of church? We all have different stories to share. Some of them are good, some of them are hard, some of them are not easy to share, and some of them are very, very exciting. But you know what? This year, this is our story together going forward in 2023 as we look at reforming the church, about coming together as a church community and saying, I am committed to this church. I want to grow and I want to know him better. I want to share in the work of our church by praying for it and its growth, by using my gifts and talents, by making myself available to serve. What a covenant. What an excitement. I hope you're excited about that. We had a meeting at our, our leadership team, and I, I want you to know this. There are so many positions needing filled in our church. 
We have people who've been in our church for years who are working tirelessly in being involved in ministries and sometimes are just looking for a break. There's so many things that we need everybody to get involved with. We don't want you to just be sitting in church every week. We want you to come in and get involved and be part of this covenant community. A wee boy said um, to his mum, we do lunch after church. Now, I just want you to know this is a big faith act for us doing this. We don't have the resources to do lunch every single week. But you know what? We believe so strongly this is the right thing for us as a church. And that leadership team we were chatting about, should we continue the lunches every week? And... um, We were looking at our resource base and thinking, we don't have the resources to do it. We've just got a few volunteers. I don't know if we can sustain this. And then somebody said, are we going to stop the lunches because it's the right thing to do? Or are we going to stop them because we don't have the resources? Or are we going to continue the lunches because it's the right thing to do? And we all decided together that it is the right thing to do to continue these lunches. And I was reminded of a story of one of our kids in Little Sparks. He's three years old, and his mum's like, right, we're leaving after church, we've got all these things to do. He says, no, mum, we have to stay for lunch. (laughs) Every week, this little boy tells his mum, we have to stay for lunch. Because staying for lunch at church, this is his church, it's the most exciting part of his week. Well, maybe one of the exciting parts of his week. (laughs) And she says he doesn't even eat anything. I think it's the fellowship. I think it's hanging out with the other kids. It's all that exciting, just being together. And I think, oh, it's great. That's the challenge I want to put out with us this morning. I want to encourage us that God is here, that God is working. We together, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as he leads us, as we move into this year and we go and see what he's got, wouldn't it be amazing when we all come together and we all get involved. We use our gifts and talents and we have a heart to say, God, I'm up for anything. What have you got for me? Where do I fit in all of this? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this story of your church in the early beginnings and just how everybody was hearing what was happening and these people in the midst of persecution were just up for anything. And Lord, I pray that as we go into this year, that that would be a challenge for each and every one of us. Lord, we want to know more of you. We want to be committed to our church. We want to be committed to each other. And we know it's not going to be easy. Sometimes we may upset each other and we have to learn what love and forgiveness looks like. Sometimes we say the wrong things. Lord, help us. Help us to have the right heart. Help us to have a loving heart. Help us have the faith to believe with everybody else here that you want to use us to do great things for you and you will continue to use us to do great things for you. And Lord, I pray we would have the hope of the Thessalonian church that we'd be able to endure through tough times. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.